The biggest shift in my life and teaching would just be an understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ for my own heart. Okay. And even though I grew up in a context where God's word was taught and where I was given opportunities to teach, it wasn't until I was 25 years old that that shift of understanding the incredibly radical grace of God, mm. the fact that he has loved me a sinner and that there is nothing I'll do that will change the way he loves me. It wasn't until I was 25 that that entered into my own heart and life in a way that was deeply significant. Okay. And that changes everything about Absolutely. the way we preach. Yeah. Changes everything about the way we live. Hey everyone, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 79. I'm your host, Mike Neglia. And on this week's episode, it's an interview with the indomitable Sarah Yardley. Now, we didn't get into too much of her backstory on the episode, but she grew up in Southern California and for the past number of years has made her home in the UK in a region called Cornwall. And when I think of how to introduce her, you know, she wears so many hats, but the most public of the hats that she wears is she is the mission and ministry lead of Creation Fest, which is this huge um, week-long free Christian festival and conference that takes place in Cornwall. Um, she also is a member of Tube Station Church. Um, she is the one of the canons of Truro Cathedral. Um, she's a theological student and she's a speaker all around the UK. And uh, she also is just an all-around well-read great person. And so you're going to enjoy listening in on this conversation. I really enjoyed uh, this and every chat I've ever had with her. Um, so enjoy this. Make sure you stick around at the end because there's an invitation from Nick Katie inviting you to our next training weekend taking place in Las Vegas in the month of February. Um, but anyway, whether you're able to come to Las Vegas or just listen to this episode, I hope that all that we do at Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and your public proclamation of God's Word. God bless you. Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast. I'm honored to have uh, my friend Sarah Yardley. Sarah, how are you? Mike, I am overjoyed to be with you in York this morning. Yes, um, a lot of these episodes just kind of pop up around the world because I uh, tend to bring this microphone to conferences because that's where all the preachers gather in one spot. It's like a where in the world is Mike Neglia and where in the world is the Expositors Collective Podcast from today. Yeah, yeah. So we're in York, England. You're about to leave in 20 minutes. I, we're, we're driving back to Cornwall, which okay. if you're outside of the UK, you think might be a, a quick jaunt. Yeah. If you're within, you understand there's some commitment required right. there. Yeah, and I'm flying out uh, this evening, so oh, we are overlapping. So, but, but Mike, I think even though this is an Expositors Collective podcast, we should mention that one time in London that we both happened to bump into each other on a street corner. Is that the last time we've seen each That's other? That's the last time we saw each other. The last time I saw you, it was it was November 24th, <laughs> oh, wow. 2018. Impeccable. It was my son's birthday. Yes. Um, so my son turned 13, and so we went to go see um, the Lion King musical, and then we were racing back to the train. And um, just walking, 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 and then I hear, Mike Neglia, Mike Neglia. <laughs> I had decided to walk 2.4 miles yeah. to my destination because I had a little bit of free time on my hands. So, yeah. oh, the joys. That was that was that was mad in a city of <laughs> what 
20 million? I'm going to go with yours on that. Maybe, yes. maybe more. Yes. Um, yeah. To bump into somebody who knows my name and, um, and you're not even from there. Nor on an I. obscure street. And yeah. just the kingdom of God is richer and more beautiful than we'll ever understand. Yep. And I was racing to catch a flight on that day as well too. And so I would have loved to linger for a few more minutes, but I was like, this is great. <laughs> is this worth missing my flight? For so we got a quick selfie and, <laughs> and here we are together. Yes. More, relaxed, more relaxed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I forgot about that. Um, we'll put that picture in the show notes um, to prove that it happens. Yeah, I, I'll send the selfie. <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, uh, when's the first time you've uh, like taught the Bible in public? Yeah, so Mike, you sent me these questions ahead of time, and I, I had three different answers, but this morning, the earliest memory dropped into my mind. Oh. The one I first remember preparing for yes. was a sixth grade Sunday school class. Really? And I was preaching through the story of Noah's Ark. I'm, so, I'm sorry, were you in sixth grade or no, were you teaching in sixth grade? I think I was probably 17 years okay, old. Okay. So I'm in my early teens or, or actually more in my latter teens at that point. And it's interesting because I distinctly remember preparing for some of the incredibly detailed scientific information about Noah's Ark. Yeah. Uh, so I remember being able to say how many football fields it was in length. And I think I brought in and made a, a small model of Noah's Ark. I was invested in this process. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure I pulled out the gospel message, but but I'm, I'm confident that I gave the historical and scientific details, which is one of the things we'll talk about here. Okay. Some of the perils, isn't it, of preparing in a way that gives you great accuracy, yes. but perhaps doesn't reach hearts. So, so you convinced them that it was real. That it was real. That, yes. that was, I or, think, or at least credible. It, 20 years later. Okay. That's the takeaway I still remember from the message I prepared. Okay. Okay. Wow. Okay. So, so you just kind of alluded at it there. So in those 20 years, you have um, changed. Changed, and you're, and you're, yes teaching and preparation and delivery of like Bible teachings and studies. Yes, absolutely. How? So I think that journey is an ongoing one and it'll be interesting because 10 years from now, if I listen to this podcast, I'll probably say, here are the things that God's taught me since then. But the biggest shift in my life and teaching would just be an understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ for my own heart. Okay. And even though I grew up in a context where God's word was taught and where I was given opportunities to teach, it wasn't until I was 25 years old that that shift of understanding the incredibly radical grace of God, mm. the fact that he has loved me a sinner and that there is nothing I'll do that will change the way he loves me. It wasn't until I was 25 that that entered into my own heart and life in a way that was deeply significant. Okay. And that changes everything about Absolutely. the way we preach. Yeah. Changes everything about the way we live, yeah. but it certainly changes everything about the way that we hold God's word. And so I would say that that would be the single biggest shift. But like any any craft, as we grow in the, in the art of preaching, mm -hmm. there's all these tools that get added into our toolkit. So I would also say in the last 10 years, particularly, uh, books like Christ-Centered Preaching have okay. had a real impact on me. What are the tent pegs or the hangers that I'm giving people to hang their ideas on? Yeah. Um, John Stott's thinking from between two worlds, which specifically speaks about the fact that good preaching will break hard hearts and heal broken hearts, mm. has been almost an overarching framework that I hold for most of my preparation. And last but not least, I'd say the biggest shift is I hold the word of God with more reverence than I ever had before. I used to watch Damien Kyle preached and he would hold God's word and almost weep when he opened mm. it and think, oh, someday mm. I want to be like that. I have that reverence for God's word. Yeah. And yet at the same time, in beautiful tension, I feel I have more freedom okay. than ever before okay. to hear and explore and listen and learn from others who are outside of my traditions that I grew up with. Mm -hmm. 
and, and let the treasures that they've mined from God's word hold value for my life and in my preaching as well. Wow. Yeah. Sarah, I want to come back to like every one of those things. <laughs> um, so first, thank you. Um, what happened when you were 25? Well, when I was 25 years old, I went to work for a church called Reality up in Carpinteria okay. and a pastor called Britt Merrick yeah. um, invited me to come and take a role with the church. We had a bit of discussion and I ended up actually just coming to be his PA, okay. primarily because I knew that any organization, if you enter it in a place of leadership, you bypass a little bit of the process of humility. And I really wanted to come in as a servant. At that point, I was managing a $7 million business. And so I had the competency to walk into a higher role, but I really felt that by serving, I would learn the most. And Britt and the teaching staff at Reality really model not just the preaching of the gospel of grace, but the lived out gospel of grace and the way that they interacted as a church family, as a church staff and within their staff meetings and really just opened those doors. And as we've all said and heard, there's nothing we can do to manufacture that moment sure. where God's sure. grace becomes alive for us. But Brit and the reality pastors became the home where I just experienced a real awakening of my soul to the gospel of grace. Wow. Wow. That's that's fantastic. And have you has it lost its luster since? <laughs> no, but I think you find kinship, right, don't you? Right. Uh, we've both been really influenced by John Tyson, and, and he says, I want to spend time with people who want the kind of things that I want. Mm -hmm. And I find that more and more God connects me in, in heart with leaders all across the world who've been transformed by the gospel of grace. And I was just speaking about this at this very conference with Simon Lawrenson. And we said, it's often the same words, just in slightly different order, that, that reveal to us the beauty and the gospel of who Jesus Christ is. Yeah. And so we we found, and, and I've certainly found in both my preaching, my teaching, and my friendships, mm -hmm. that God's connected me with grace-filled leaders who really model that in their lives and preaching. Yeah, I, I certainly don't want to sound um, elitist, and, and by, like I want that to be the farthest thing from, but sometimes you're talking to somebody and then they they have a, a way of saying something. Or, and he's like, oh, you've seen the same truth that I've seen. Absolutely. And it's hard to put that into a bottle, isn't it? Yeah. Or even sometimes create a framework for it. But another way that is borrowed from the reality family of church is my soul comes alive. It's life-giving. Okay. And Jesus is made beautiful in the text. And I think that's a real yeah. characteristic of, of what I long for in all of my preaching. Yes, yes. Yeah. And, and, and elitist is the farthest idea. It's, it's essentially, oh, that person is not elitist. That person has realized how low they truly are. Absolutely. And I've realized how low I truly, I truly am as well, too. And oh, yeah. And um, so there's the books. And then the third thing that you mentioned was, oh. Oh, I dumped out so many thoughts. Oh, I know. There, and, like, I, and, and, and they all and, were like and, organized. <laughs> tangents happen. They're organized bullet points in my head. Okay. Uh, certainly the, the reading that I did has been a significant impact. Yes. And I think that you know, readers are leaders. That, that's not a scriptural quote, but that's been a fact in my own life. Mm -hmm. And so reading broadly from the works of not just the modern generation of preachers, but the historic sure, generation of the sure. preachers who've gone before, I still sometimes I'll, I'll prepare my whole message and then I'll go sit and read what Charles Spurgeon preached on that same text, oh, yes. not to kidnap his ideas mm -hmm. because the spirit's alive for our generation, mm -hmm. but simply because within these older preachers, the, the handwritten sermons that are still alive today yeah. so sh so show such integrity, such authenticity, such study, and such passion that I'll, I'll sometimes just say, okay, I've got a message I believe is alive, but does it carry the dynamic passion and movement of the Holy Spirit from my church context hmm. in the way that this sermon from 120 years ago still feels okay. alive? Okay. 
And are you ever tempted to like steal from Spurgeon? I steal all the time, okay. Mike, but okay. I steal by crediting them. Yeah. So um, I think that that my preaching has been deeply influenced by the writing and thinking of others. I, I very rarely have an original thought. Mm. But within that, my, my preaching has been deeply influenced by the writing and thinking of others who are orthodox, gospel-centered, and who've mined the riches of scripture in ways that that affect and influence the congregations that I get to share with. Okay. And so I, I do believe that that richness of history is what would fall within the, the liturgical traditions as the word tradition. Okay. That yeah. we're walking in the traditions of the fathers and, and mothers of the church who've come before us. Yeah. Yeah. I'm grateful to be part of that long trajectory. Absolutely. Um, what, I, I remember your third thing. You said <laughs> that it was, yeah, it was this encounter with the, with the grace of God. It was these writings that have benefited you. And then thirdly, um, you said that it was this, you were growing in a reverence mm. and simultaneously a comfort with, with the scriptures. Absolutely. That sounds like it's a tension. How, explain that for us. Yeah, uh, th that is a tension. And I think like any beautiful tension, when you're stretched, yes. you find that your heart is enlarged. And that's mm. an idea that we see all throughout scripture. Um, I'm more convinced than ever before that God's word is true and that it is alive for our generation today. I hold a historic biblical tradition. I spend Every day in God's word, I'm reading through Acts again right now. So mm. I've, I've deepened in my reverence for God's word. At the same time, living in a post-Christian culture, um, which England absolutely is, oh, spending a large percentage of my time speaking to people who don't know and understand the words of scripture and to whom the language sounds really foreign, sure. I feel more free than I ever have before to Ask the Spirit for the creative ways that God's Word might be alive for my generation. And I'll give a really practical example of that. Yeah. I preached Ephesians 5 this past Sunday. And Ephesians 5 is, is a minefield. And, and I'm in a tourist it's town, complex, yes. 120 people, and uh, in a context where complementarity is not espoused or embraced. We'll, okay. we'll just leave that as a, as a separate moment. Okay. And I really wanted to preach something that was true to the Ephesians 5 passage. Now, I had bumped into a pastor from Canada who gave me this analogy of the way that an umbrella, when held by somebody else, leaves the person under it to give both of their hands free. Okay. And so before I read the Ephesians 5 passage, 20 through the end of the chapter, I held up an umbrella and I said, when we come to know Christ as Savior... Our God holds over us a covering and we willingly walk under that covering. And because he's holding this covering over us, where our hands are left free to do the work that's ahead of us. And then verse 20, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. There are times in Christian community where I might hold a covering over my brother. I might believe the best of him. I might speak all of the truth of God's word over him. And likewise, he's going to hold that covering over me and leave both of my hands free mm. to do the work that's ahead of me. And in marriage, there's this beautiful picture where the husband is called to hold the covering so that the wife's hands may be free to minister. And then I just read the passage in full. Mm. Okay. And it disarmed those who might otherwise be reactive to that passage. But secondly, it created a picture and a context and a vocabulary that was clear to someone who had never read scripture, never read Ephesians 5. I had four people come up to me after that message and say either they had never heard that passage of scripture or they'd never understood that it could be beautiful. Oh, 
Oh, so the ones that I've never heard of before, they're not dealing with like layers of, of baggage or whatever. Okay. Hmm. So this freedom that you have with it is is not um, loosey-goosey. No. Um, it's, yeah, so you're drawing in. Hey, I've read Ephesians 5. The podcast listeners can open it now. The word umbrella is not there anywhere. No, exactly. Yeah. And that picture is a picture that's slightly outside of our normal preaching context. Yes. But I found it so helpful. Okay. And so when I say I feel freer, it's not that I feel freer to uh, scissor cut my Bible and do a Benjamin Franklin on right, it. Right. It's that I feel freer to ask the Spirit, what imagery can be used to help this passage of Scripture in all of its richness, in all of its glory, feel alive to the 21st century listener? Mm, right. That's, that's fantastic. Hey, so in our final seven minutes... Amazing. What does your like um, preparation process look like yeah my, so if, there, if there's an engagement coming up how how early do you start yep and what do you do yeah so i'd love to have the luxury of being earlier than than this but i would generally start a week before i'm preaching okay and the first thing that i do because you are not a you are a, a busy person my life is full my you life are, is you are full. not a, a leisurely <laughs> leisurely person yeah and and um i'm part of a a preaching team at my home church. So we'll know what our series is in advance okay. and, and we'll have had time to pray into that. But I also do a lot of guest visits. Mm -hmm. And so at those guest visits, I'm generally working a week in advance okay. um, with the occasional exception. So the first thing I do, and, and I think this would be true of any preacher, is I just read the text. Mm -hmm. And I soak in the text. And the first time, and the first few times I read it, I'm just reading it reflectively. I'm not reading it as part of my personal devotions. I have my personal devotions separate from that. Okay. In Acts? Uh, in Acts, yeah, exactly. We're, we're in chapter yes. 10 right now, and it is rocking my world. Okay. Um, so I'm just really soaking in the text. And, and I like to be able to do that two or three times, and not just two or three times in a row, but two or three times throughout that week, just mining for what the gold is that God's Word might bring. And then I'll read the text along with any other context in scripture that I can pull from it. So that might include, uh, if it's a passage from the New Testament, any Old Testament references. It might include the chapters that are around it. I recently preached Daniel 8, and I challenged myself to read the whole book of Daniel so that before just doing the vision of the ram and the goat, I would have the clear context of where that vision sits in scripture. Uh, man, was that a beast to preach, mm. but that's another, another mm. podcast for another day. And then what I do now, and this has changed over the years, but I'll just start to jot down any words or phrases that capture my attention. Okay. What are the things that spark my imagination? What are the things that I find deeply interesting about the text? And as I'm writing down those two phrases, I'll then um, sit and I'll usually have from my mind a whole host of things that have been stirred up. And then from my notebook, a couple of pages full of just what are the riches that this text brings. And I'll use this framework. One, what does the text say? So what is scripture actually saying? Mm -hmm. If you're preaching Ephesians 5, you cannot avoid the topic of drunkenness and immorality. Mm -hmm. They are just part of what the text says. Mm -hmm. And then two, what is the gospel message that I feel comes out of this passage of scripture? What do I want people to hear from this passage of scripture? What do I believe is on God's heart for my congregation or, or the group that I'm speaking to yeah. from this passage? And then from that, um, I'll also ask a third question, which ties into the second, second being the gospel message, but the third question, how is this alive in our world or in my context today? And then Mike, 
I've written messages many different ways and I still, depending on the context, write them all three. Sometimes I do handwritten long form notes and it'll literally be six pages of handwritten notes that I will put down. Sometimes I'll sit and type a message. Um, I I like to type a message because then I can send it out for peer critique, um, which I regularly do, particularly when I'm preaching in a new context. I'll send it to the pastor ahead of time and ask for their wisdom and reflection on it. Um, Sometimes, this is rare now, but sometimes I will literally draw my message. Now, don't imagine from that that I'm an artist, but imagine from that that if I'm preaching on Ephesians 6, for example, I might draw out the armor of God, even in my scribbly way, and then really ask the Spirit what's going to come alive from that. And by and large, with all of those pieces in place and with a fully written message, I will then preach the message once to myself in full to find out where are my stumbling points Mm -hmm. and where are the Mm -hmm. places that I didn't really think through that analogy fully. I wrote it down, but I didn't think it through. And then secondly, I will preach that message as much as possible without notes. Okay. I bring my notes up with me. Yes. And I... I use them where and when it feels appropriate and rich to do that. But the reality is that there are often times where the spirit breathes life and I find that I'm freest when I preach without my notes. Yes. Okay. So they're there. They're there. Folded up? Or... No, no. Okay. Open on the podium. Yes. Yeah. And I've always identified uh, three or four key transition points. Mm-hmm. So I know where I'm starting from and where I'm going to. Yeah. And honestly, Mike, that's just the way my mind works as well. So I'm not like a five C's kind of preacher, mm-hmm. but I am the kind where if I'm preaching through a text of scripture, I know where I'm starting. I know where I'm going and I know my anchor points that I'm going to hang from on the way through. Sure. Yeah. And as, and as expository preachers, you know, generally there's like, there's the chapter in front of us, there's a paragraph it and, gives you an easy framework. So yeah, if you've if lost you get your... lost, oh, the next verse says this. <laughs> and that reminds me of that. Yeah. Absolutely. And I find because I often am, am preaching in quite challenging situations, um, groups of tourists or groups of other kind of distracted individuals, okay. um, there are moments where it is easiest to be a little bit flexible. So to toss in a little analogy or a little interactive moment or perhaps a story that I hadn't planned. Mm -hmm. And because you can tell, can't you, with your audience, if you're starting to lose them and particularly the art. And again, this is slightly separate from expository preaching, but when you're doing anything that's open air or evangelistic, um, you're asking the spirit, how can I continue to carry this audience with me for the sake of the gospel? Yeah. Yeah. And I think you and I, like, is it smaller crowds usually that you would have that interactive piece with? I'll be interactive with as big a crowd as possible. So I just did a teaching week with 14 to 18 year olds at Spring Harvest and I had 450 teenagers. Yes. Um, And I really thought hard about how can I bring deeply interactive points to 450 teenagers. And we had three or four interactive points for every message. Oh, really? Because the attention span of the average teen, five minutes. Mm. These were good teenagers. They were solid. They were ready to engage. They signed up for camp, yeah. But expository Bible teaching for 40 minutes with 450 teenagers, um, I think interaction helps make it alive and helps bring the depth into the text. Okay. I know that we're like nearly out of time. Can you like, what, what do you, how do you bring interaction into what's been traditionally like a monological um, discourse? So, um, we, with, I'll, I'll use an example from that week specifically. We were, we were teaching in an expository style through the the Lord's Prayer and okay. the passage around that. And so there were all sorts of just different pieces around what it means to live a life of active prayer. Yeah. So 
in every message I had interactive points, but we'll start with the intimacy message. Um, I spoke about the fact that really prayer is this, this opportunity for intimacy. And I had the young people take a moment um, just at the beginning of the message where we just sat and put hand on heart and literally just left a couple of minutes of silence. And I invited them to do uh, quite an ancient prayer, um, which is Jesus Christ, Son of God, have yeah, mercy, mercy on me, a sinner. Yeah. And as they did, I asked them to put their hands on their chest and just breathe out. And as you do, breathe out a prayer of repentance and ask Christ to be present in the places that he's perhaps not been invited. Breathe in, receive the Holy Spirit. And within an expository preaching message, that activity as a whole probably took three to five minutes of the message. Mm -hmm. Didn't require them to do much other than to listen. Yeah. But modeling that kind of listening prayer and giving space for it within my message, um, I think probably had as much value as any of the words that I preached because the Spirit spoke to their lives intimately. And, and that's not just a time filler. And no. And, and, and that certainly isn't a, a, a tactic to keep them interested because if you're encouraging people to pray, they actually are praying. Absolutely. And, and there's a God who actually is hearing and is answering those prayers. And it's saying that our preaching should invite people into a life of spiritual discipline. And because of the riches of 35 years of those disciplines in my toolkit, mm-hmm. it's one thing for me to tell them pray. Yeah. And it's another thing for me to invite them into a window of what that discipline would look like in my own life right. and the joy of it. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, there's, there's something I'll, I'll end on this. There's a fight, like a, a practice that I've heard from some, somebody else, a, a church in LA called uh, collective church. Mm-hmm. And since I love collectives, I, was like, <laughs> I, got, I got to listen to this. And, um, I listened to a few of their messages and they often start with, um, an opening story and then a pause for prayer. Mm. And the prayer is it's four parts. Have you heard this? Or, no. Um, first, pray for yourself. Okay. And then it's kind of guided. Like, okay, now pray for yourself. You know, 30 seconds goes by. Now pray for your neighbor. Mm. Like look or put a hand on someone next to you and just pray for them quietly. And then thirdly, pray for like an unbeliever in your life that you want to come to know Jesus. Wow. And then fourthly, pray for me that I'd be able to teach and preach accurately. Wow. And then it's just kind of like, you know, it's maybe two minutes, maybe maybe three and then the kind of teaching starts yep. after that. Um, and so that's something I've I've used once and I plan on using every week for the, the series that I'm about to start next week. It's going into my toolkit, which is what I love, isn't it? About yeah. these kinds of podcasts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're learning from each other Absolutely. and none of us are saying we've mastered it, but all of us are saying we're hungry yes. to show people how to find bread mm. and how to eat it for themselves. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much, Sarah. You've got a, a long drive. I've got a flight. <laughs> This is Nick Cady, and I'm excited to invite you to join us at our next Expositors Collective Training Weekend, which will be held in Las Vegas, Nevada at Calvary Chapel, Las Vegas on February 21st and 22nd, 2020. Our vision as Expositors Collective is to raise up the next generation of Christ-centered preachers. And if that's you or somebody in your church who's teaching or being called by God to teach, we would love to have you join us and be equipped. Yeah.